Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello, I'm Scott Sochnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Boston's favorite son sports business podcast, The Sportacast. All right, we're just going, I was just going to say a straight up bean town power lunch, you know, coming from one of by land to by sea. Nice. I didn't know where you were going to go. Yeah. So uh, as we are more than intimating, uh, you and I are in the Boston area today. We are having a power lunch, representatives, owners, CEOs, CROs uh, of all the teams uh, in the local area, of all of the companies that are Boston-based, venture capital, private equity. Uh, we don't need to name names, but uh, the biggies, you know, the big boys and the big women are in town. Uh, those who run the industry um, and just happen to be Boston-based. So. I was walking down the street, meeting some folks for coffee this morning, and I saw the TB12 logo. First of all, it was like 7.55 in the morning, so you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for being observant, but I noticed the TB12 logo, and I take a peek, and it's across the street, and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like, Tom Brady, I know popular, but it surprised me a bit that there was like the Tom Brady store in Boston, right? Like, so I went in, I peeked. We should put the uh, video online. I know I did it on my account, but maybe from the Sportacast, you can attach this. You're the guy with all the, uh, the tech know-how. Um, so we went in. I was with uh, Steve Horowitz from Inner Circle Sports, uh, also attending the lunch. And we, we walked in and first of all, open at 8 a.m., which I couldn't figure out. <laughs> but then I could because it's merch. Tom Brady probably wakes up at 4 a.m., by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was, yeah exactly. But, I, but then I understood why. It was merch, uh, also like supplements, the TB12 supplements. They had a, a smoothie bar. But also downstairs was the physical therapy place. So I, I found it interesting that people were coming in bright and early pre-work for physical therapy. And I was talking to some of the folks who worked there. And it was a very interesting line that was uttered. I was like, well, I don't know, where do Patriots fans stand on Tom now, obviously, with the Buccaneers, whatever. And she said, what we found is, like, maybe less, even these are, these are again, Boston-based, less Patriots fan than Tom Brady fan. Like, the brand Tom, incredibly popular. Of course, won, you know, the boatloads of Super Bowl here. I get it. But I still would have thought the team brand would be more powerful even in this. Like, I don't know. He's not here anymore. Is this the way they want to do it? And uh, she said they're busy as can be. People love the TV brand and Tom still. Uh, are you are you surprised? Am I off on this? Like to think, well, I, I don't know if it would have worked. 
I'm not I'm not fully surprised. I mean, we saw when Tom returned to Foxborough, was that earlier this year? Or was it last year? It was clear that the, the, the fan, the Patriots fans who were in that game, um, they have a lot of a lot of love for him. I'm not necessarily surprised by that. I, I did look, Scott, a quick trivia for you. There are three TB12 shop locations. Yeah, one, one see, I see know if you is can in. Guess where they are? Well, I, in fairness, she did say we also have one in Foxborough. So okay, so my, you've got two my, right here. Yeah, yeah, guess inter- where the third is. Well, before I get to the third, I was going to say I found it interesting. Uh, we were wondering a little group of us this morning who were on the walk: Is Brady paying rent to the Crafts in Patriots Place? I don't know exactly where in Foxborough. Yeah, I don't know where. But I, I, didn't, I didn't zoom in that right. far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just assume when she told me it was by the stadium. Like, wouldn't that be interesting if he's paying rent? You know, probably a reduced rent to the crest now where is the third um because this one the first one's like by copley square then you have foxborough where where would the third where would i put this i'm i'm not sure just tell me tampa bay Oh, not, I thought we meant Massachusetts, basically. No, okay. no, no, no. Yes. Yeah, not a shocker. But I mean, you, you get a sense that obviously Thomas is is tremendously popular in his new city uh, as well. Look, look, this is a this is going to be one of the big post career Tom Brady business uh, business endeavors. TB12 is um, it's a lifestyle brand. There's apparel. There's nutrition. There's as you said. There's physical therapy and shops, coaching, etc. Um, and Tom, the longer he's 44 right now, he's the MVP favorite in the NFL, defending champion. Uh, the longer he plays, the the the, the more advertising he gets for TB12. The whole idea existence of Tom Brady as a 44-year-old still dominating the NFL is exactly the proof that I think a lot of people need to believe that the the TB12 method of personal health is one that could work for them. We had the discussion among the three of us. uh, Let's see. There was probably somebody around 65 at the table, somebody early 50s, somebody a little bit younger, and then somebody mid late 30s. And the joke in the discussion was to the 39-year-old at the table, pretty soon, it, it's just going to get worse. Your stuff's going to stop working. We were joking like you know, the grease and the oil that makes the engine go. It's not, not so great anymore. But this guy, like you said, and Mike McCann, I believe, wrote a story a while ago where he pointed he out did. that the, the best advertisement for what TB12 stands for is Tom himself going out there and still playing at an incredibly high level at age 62. Amazing that, that he can do that. I also think we should, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that there are parts of the TB12 method that are a little pseudoscience-y. Um, yeah. One that I've, I've read the book that he put out a number of years ago. One of the passages that always stuck out to me was his belief that he never got sunburned because he was well hydrated, uh, which I think a lot of scientists would uh, would say is a very dangerous claim for for, for young people or any people to be reading and, and, and believing. Uh, there has certainly been no shortage of tension back when, when Tom was with the Patriots, uh, between the team and Alex Guerrero, who is his partner in TB12 and, and his own personal trainer as well. Um, so, so there is, I, th- I think, in, in some communities, particularly in, in the science communities, there's some skepticism about the entire TB12 method. Uh, but you're right, Scott. There, there's no better advertisement than the fact that at 44 years old, he continues to dominate the NFL. Again, he's the, he's the odds-on favorite right now for the, for the MVP at minus 150. Uh, he won the Super Bowl last year, his first year away from Tampa Bay. Uh, we had, a, and, and not to change the subject real quick, we, we do these Sportico happy hours on uh, on Twitter Spaces every Friday, as you know, Scott, and we, we had Anthony Krupe, our media reporter, on last week. And we, we had a bit of a discussion. 
there is a lot of talk now in the NFL about the possibility that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick could meet in the Super Bowl. Um, and that would be such a massive kind of media extravaganza commercial bonanza. Um, but there's no question that Tom's continued success obviously sets him up well for, for life after football, but particularly in this specific way. Well, I, I didn't see a big poppy shop. I didn't see a, or should, would that be a, a big, Bobby pop, shop? A big poppy, poppy pop-up shop? I didn't see a Bobby or Ray Bork. I didn't see a Larry Bird, but I do see TB12. And, you know, just to have them say, yeah, people love the brand. They love him, regardless of their devotion still to the Patriots. It has not waned the love of, uh, it, the, the love for Tom Brady has not waned. And it, like you said, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how that how that plays on when if ever the guy stops playing you know it, it's just it, it, he is the best advertisement for it but anyway moving on you know where there is skepticism also in college football and college sports around nil and great story uh the ncaa is now asking questions about some of these deals this is probably the least surprising story <laughs> that the ncaa now might want to look into whether we have a pay-for-play situation does it violate whatever nil's rules that were quickly set up uh th this is like such a you know no kidding that this is happening but byu and miami are going to have to answer some questions right yeah, and sh shout out to Daniel Libet on our staff for for, for getting uh, getting this news out on on Friday, breaking it. This is I, I think this is a fascinating uh, Rubicon moment. Is I think the way that we phrased it in that story. This is a really interesting moment right now for this growing and and nascent athlete marketing rights uh, world for for college football and and college athletes. Uh, th there have been. Teams, schools, boosters, everyone has moved very quickly since July 1st to kind of stake out their claim in this world. We're seeing the types of deals that are being done kind of rapidly evolving. And the NCAA uh, has kind of so far st largely stayed out of this. Uh, and the fact that they are investigating these two deals, and I can get into what these two deals are and why they may be different from what we've seen in, in other parts of, of the college NIL landscape. I can get into that in a second. But the, just the mere fact that the NCAA may be looking at two of these deals, I think kind of tells you, and, and then the result of this investigation um, is going to tell you everything you need to know about where this industry is, because a lot of people are acting like there are no rules that there's kind of no enforcement, there's there's no governing body that's going to step in and stop them. And if the NCAA does not step in on on these, I think that is a signal to the market that you can kind of do, do whatever whatever you want. A lot of NIL deals we're seeing are kind of thinly veiled, I would argue, about essentially compensating athletes for their participation on teams. I'm not necessarily, to be clear, I'm not necessarily sure that's a bad thing. Um, but this is a runaway train. And I think the NCAA right now is realizing that they may have one shot and they it may not even be realistic right now. But But if they don't try to rein this industry in right now, there, there may be no chance in the future. So what are we saying? Is the cat out of the bag? Is Pandora out of the box? You know, where, where are we here? It, it just seems as if you could have predicted, you would have predicted that this 100%. is where we would end up. And I like the responses we're seeing from the different stakeholders. You get the sort of the tempered erudite responses from the, from the schools. You know, we, we, our compliance has looked at these things. We're, you know, we're okay with everything the NCAA and has said we can do. And then you get those that are providing the money. And like the Miami Herald uh, got a hold of of the guy who was giving the, the money to the, the Miami MMG players. Yeah. yeah, yes, yeah. And let's just say uh, it was not only curt, but it was a four letter response to the NCAA. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, I mean literally. You get the sense that folks like that uh, are looking at maybe we'll call it a neutered NCAA. Understand that you know what? Like we just said, it, it's all out of the bag. And however they try and parse it or slice it. 
it's going to be hard to show that it's not name, image, and likeness, and it's just pay for play. Because if I want to give money to the entire Miami football team for them to, I'm going to go like from the most basic example we possibly could, to wear a t-shirt with my logo on it, who I'm the one determining the value, if I think it's worthwhile, and that's, that is name, image, and likeness. So you can see where we're in a, in a difficult gray area, but you follow this obviously much more closely than I do. But when I looked at the responses, I, I saw the erudite sort of, let's get the spokesman involved, let's get the crisis people involved, and uh, let's defer a little bit to the NCA and be respectful. And then you see the people who are rushing into this space pretty much telling the NCA to go bug off. And, and to be clear, the, the NCAA essentially abdicated a lot of its responsibility in this particular space. If you remember for, for much of 2020, the, the position from the NCAA was we're, we're going, we have a working group looking at NIL. We're going to adopt kind of firm legislation in January, 2021. We're going to vote on that legislation. It's going to give everybody across the country a six month run up to July 1st to get everything ready. July, January, 2021 came, uh, they punted on those rules and the NCA did not put in what it now calls its interim policy. It didn't put that in until I believe it was June 30th. It may have been June, July 1st, literally the day that this stuff in a lot of states around the country kicked in. That was when the NCA put out a, a, a very brief and fairly vaguely worded NIL policy. And that is the thing that they are looking at these BYU and Miami deals and saying, huh, maybe this doesn't exactly line up with the, with the way that we thought about this from the policy. So there are a lot of people at schools, I'm sure there are a lot of boosters that say, look, the NCA had a chance here. They deliberately chose not to wade into this. Then in a very hasty and quick manner, decided they did want to put some regulations in place. Now they're looking at some of these deals to see if they're a violation of those regulations. I think the fascinating thing here, Scott, you mentioned it there, fair market value. We spent a lot of time talking about fair market value relative to NIL deals in the run-up to, to, to July 1st, because it's such a hard thing to put together. I know that if you're from the NCAA's perspective, the idea that there are boosters out there that are giving, let's say the Miami example, for example, $500 to everybody on the team, if they're willing to, this is the deliverable to, 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 to promote the, the, the gym on social media. It's obvious that the Miami quarterback and the third string lineman have different fair market values. Right, the idea that they're both getting five hundred dollars, I think, in the NCA circles, is the signal that they need to say, "Look, this is not about their fair market value because these athletes have very different fair market values." The fact that you're willing to pay them the same thing shows me that this is a different thing. The NCA, I think, would argue that this is just a pay for participation, which is not what they want. And again, I think that but, you're you're but, right. The but could I not argue? Could I not argue? If I say the value or at least perceived added value, yes, on a one-off, the quarterback surely would have a higher fair market value than the 70th guy on the team who never gets on the field. Yes. However, there is great value in saying I've got the entire team. You know, do I have to pay them differently to to make this se seem kosher? I, I I don't know. But there certainly you could argue. From, from the one doling out the dollar side, that there is value for me in having every single member of the team, because they do things in group activities, to say they all come and work out at my facility, every single member of the team. So again, a little bit of an uphill climb, at least in my you, mind. You could definitely make that argument. And, and you could maybe make an argument that for a, for a gym, you prefer the, the big uglies, the guys who are 350 pounds, the guys who are throwing weights around the, the, the locker room, and, and, and maybe the, the quarterback isn't. I mean, again, there's, there's so many things that you could say about how you interpret fair market value, which is such a kind of 
kind of transient idea and varies so much in, in the eye of the beholder. Um, and again, the NCAA, I think, is going to really struggle if they want to go down the road of, of, of trying to sanction or punish these schools, which again is, is very far away from, from where they are right now. I would be shocked if that happens. Uh, but again, I think the, the, the emperor loses its clothes a little bit. And, and, and if, if these deals are allowed to stand, I think you're just going to continue to see this line being, uh, being blurred. Not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but the, the idea of athletes being compensated just for their participation with, with fairly minor deliverables, I think is going to be a, an extremely common thing across college sports extremely quickly. And I would also point people and you, Eben, to the uh, Caden Smith op-ed that he wrote for Sportico, where he said that NIL, uh, some people thought it would tear locker rooms apart. One guy's making money, the other guys don't because of their stature and position on the field. He said it actually brought us closer together. I would not discount if I'm the quarterback and I'm just going to pick any old school because it's you know popular. But if I'm the quarterback at Notre Dame and somebody approaches me and says, I want to pay you X, I would tell you this, you know, the smart thing to do. Love to have the deal, but you got to include my linemen or you got to include 100%. my teammates too. I'm not going to be out front. I do not want to sow that divisiveness in my locker room. You can have me, but you got to take them. That would be a smart thing for that person to do. And if they make just as much money as you, what do you care? Right? And we're, not- we're seeing that. I mean, you mentioned Caden there, the, the the quarterback at Appalachian State, Chase Bryce, I believe is his name. Uh, he did that exact thing. He got a, a, a deal with a local, I think it's a barbecue spot. He's using the allotment they gave him to once a week feed all of his linemen. They all come in. I, I, you're seeing that with quarterbacks all over the country. You're right. The, 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 there were many laughable claims heading into NIL about the way this was going to ruin the, the, the traditions of college sports. I think one of the most laughable was this idea that they were going to sow divisions really wide within the locker room between the people who are extremely popular, extremely good, have a big presence, and, and the people who are not. Well, on the laugh scale, which would be the bigger uh, number? The so divisions in the locker room or the women will not get any deals? Yeah, bo- both uh, pretty laughable in the, uh, the the way that we're seeing uh, the, the market turn out here. Um, but again, I think that the, the NCA has been very clear that it wants the, the government to step in here. I think that they will look at these Miami and, and BYU deals, maybe not take action, but maybe use them in lobbying to say, hey, look, this is... This is the natural result of what we have when we when we don't have a federal, you know, the the, the full framework in place. Uh, but again, I think that the feeling from a lot of people I've talked to is that the NCA has essentially stepped away from this thing to to reinsert itself if it wants to do that. Now uh, is going to be a very tall order. All right, entering the third period of the podcast, it only makes sense that we switch to the NHL. And no surprise, private equity already in most of the other leagues, not the NFL yet. We'll see whatever happens there. But the NHL uh, approving uh, private equities, involvement, private capital in the league. And it didn't take long for Arctos, which, by the way, is already active in the NBA, uh, to take some stakes or at least to be able to formalize their plan to take stakes in two teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Minnesota Wild. Others are there in that space already as well. Um, Eben, your take on the NHL, where what this does for the league, where you think it'll go. I, I think my, my simple take, same as yours, I think we knew this was coming. Uh, it, it is no surprise. The same reason why the NBA, same reason why Major League Baseball, same reason why MLS voted to change its ownership rules in the, in the past two years to allow private equity to invest in minority stakes is the same reason why the NHL is doing it. There are owners that have felt a bit of a cash crunch in, in the past 18 months because of the pandemic. You can access money by taking out personal loans. You can do capital calls on your existing owners. You can sell equity to other people. But allowing uh, owners to sell 
uh, minority stakes to private equity really does free up easier access to capital. And that's, that's a really big deal right now. And then secondly, another thing we've talked about on the podcast a lot, the, the idea that franchise valuations are soaring so much for the first time, according to our Kurt Badenhausen, um, their NF- NHL team is now worth $2 billion plus. That's the New York Rangers. Um, we are, yeah, the, it, it's true in the NHL as well. These, these teams are getting more and more expensive. And as a result, there's just fewer and fewer people that have the capital and the means to invest in them and opening this up to funds allows, again, an easier way, a, a larger pool of potential investors if you do want to go that route. All right, but if we're gonna tell, if we're gonna cite Kurt, we got to say, you know, his two billion, his two billion dollar team is the Toronto Maple Leafs, ah, slightly, sorry. slightly below. Might have been somebody else's valuation. Is, 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 is clapping. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, just letting you know, Kurt's got the Maple Leafs, and I think he's right. I'd like to see an auction between those two teams and see how many people show up and where the numbers go. But I'll tell you this: it was pretty fun trying to track down the NHL story as I was driving up to North Andover Merrimack College for a hockey tournament over the weekend. Um, great weekend, by the way. Uh, I won't get specific, but great weekend for the boys. Uh, thank you, by the way, Edmund, uh, for showing up at Merrimack College to watch Jackson's game. The Very last game impressed of the, of by, the, by the tournament. Fairfield team. Yeah, uh, you, you, I was laughing at your response to some of the kids, like quick stops, top shelves, like give and goes, uh, tic tac toes. You were like, "Whoa, these are twelve year olds!" <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, they're, and they're not. A lot of them are not big, but the the talent, like it, it's like it's 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 jarring to see people that small doing those things, right? That, that, that's the juxtaposition that was so amazing to me. The best part is when they take their helmets off and it's just like, you know, these kind of rosy face, chubby face yeah, kids. Exactly, like yeah. kids, right? But they have immense talent. Um, but, you know, Jackson was my wingman driving up, taking some of these calls, sending some of the texts. As, and one of the things I, and, and I, you know, terrible admission here, I forgot that one of the sources said when we wrote the story, but I think it's pertinent to this discussion, is that included in these rules for private equity investment is you don't get a board seat, you can't get a board seat. You can have no say in the operation of the team. So the thought is that with this institutional capital, that this is like so-called smart money. But I do have people asking me, what's in this for investors? Why does this make sense for investors? It makes sense if you believe that that escalation of franchise values will continue on the trend line. You know, and you know, I guess it's a perfect metaphor right now in the hockey stick, right? If you're going to get that hockey stick growth, everything's great. But there are, as we saw with COVID, there are risk factors, probably some we haven't seen or haven't even thought of yet. So it's important to note that you are, you know, as, as private equity, as, as this institutional capital, you are charged with returns, generating returns for your investors. Uh, so do you see risk? Because it's not like the normal things that a lot of these these things would do, where you have a say, you get a board seat. Um, this is just sort of passive investment. You put the money in, you forget about it. So uh, it, it's interesting to see that at, at, at least right now, Arctos, which has about $3 billion under management to, to spend and some others as well, um, feel strongly enough about pro sports that it warrants putting the money in. Yeah, and, and MLS, same restriction, I believe, that, that you're not allowed to have a voting rights or, or, or board seats. I had a question for you, Scott. A, a lot of times, most of the, the teams we see in the major leagues that go up for sale nowadays are kind of on the bottom tier yeah. of those leagues. We've seen it a lot in the NHL teams that have sold recently, a lot in the NBA teams that have sold recently also. It seems as though, and, and this is a small sample size, so maybe I'm just reading too much into this. It seems like in the private equity deals we've seen, it's almost the opposite. The Warriors sold a chunk. 
The Lakers sold a chunk. The one of the first NHL deals was the defending champion, uh, Tampa, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Am I am I right in that? Does it does it seem as though maybe on the minority sales, at least from a private equity standpoint, we're seeing some of the bigger teams that are the ones involved in these transactions as opposed to the the controlling stakes that are, the, are that are the lower tiers? Or is that just kind of too small a sample size to say? I think it's a small sample size, but it's fair to ask, where would you want to put your money on the, on the franchises that need it because they're having trouble generating profits or on the ones where, for whatever reason, a limited partner might be looking to get out? Um, but there's not only the core team in itself. I know a lot of these investors and the private capital folks are looking for owners and teams that have something besides, and this goes for general investors as well. If I'm looking to buy a pro sports team, as one prospective buyer once told me, I don't. I got to look for something. I got to find an opportunity outside of just the sport. There has to be a media play. There has to be a real estate play, and that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing, uh, in, in like in Tampa, for instance, in Jeff. The Bennett, lightning, yeah, that, perfect example. Yeah, there's an entertainment district that that is that is also that in play there. So there's more than just the sport itself. And um, is it is it an accident that perhaps those are some of the bigger, more successful teams? I don't know. I mean, Craig Leopold is in Minnesota. And as I sent over to some of the folks, I don't know a lot what the, about what they're doing with the Minnesota Wild. I'm not sure what is the ancillary opportunity there. I'm not sure, but I will certainly look into it. So I've got one more question for you on this. Major League Soccer made these changes a, a couple months ago. We've already had one deal that we know of in there in, in Miami. The NHL made these changes last week. We know of two deals that Arctos has done in the NHL already. NBA made these changes a little bit over a year ago. We know of a number of deals there. Major League Baseball also made these changes in a, a number of of, uh, of months ago, year plus, I believe. I'm not aware of publicly a, a single private equity MLB deal that has been at least announced or reported quite yet. Are they happening and we just aren't yet aware of what they are? Is is there a reason why this market may be much slower in Major League Baseball? Is the lockout somehow related there? I'm curious why you know, all these leagues are doing these changes and we seem to have heard so much less about investment in, in MLB clubs. Well, I, I laugh. I have to throw your question back at you with a question. If I don't know about it, how can I answer that question? Like, are no, they I, happening? But we, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, that's impossible for me to answer, right? I, I mean, I can understand a world where someone was telling us, yeah, these deals are happening, but we're not going to report that, oh, they're happening, right? Like, <laughs> I, will, I will tell you this, Mr. Novi Williams, that I know of at least one investor in a hockey team that told me about their stake off the record and does not want it out there. Okay. So for whatever their reasons are. So I assume, I'm just assuming, I don't know, that there probably is or are one or more in Major League Baseball as well that we're just not aware of. But we do have um, like Redbird Capital taking a stake in Fenway Sports Group. And Arctos did Red, as well, correct? And so, Arctos is, yeah, Arctos so is there as that, well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is, you know, the Boston Red Sox. But again, the Boston Red Sox, you know, sort of this global platform company, real estate development coming around Fenway Park, so, uh, Nesson, there are media opportunities. Again, so much more than just the team. So my guess would be yes, but we don't know about it yet. But as, as it becomes more prevalent, we will find out about it. And I don't know if you and I, well, I'm much older than, than you are, although you're getting up there. Um, in my <laughs> lifetime, I don't see, uh, in my working lifetime, I don't think we'll see the NFL, maybe in yours. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think it, it would take something uh, fairly catastrophic to the NFL's business model, um, more catastrophic than whatever COVID was to the NFL business model. I think it would take that for the NFL to have to make this change.
All right. He is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter, Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Cora Veltman. She loves it when I tell you the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become. And Eben, we've got an announcement coming soon become the Sportico Podcast Network.